Hello, born funny people. Hello. What, were you going to clap? I was. But then I... We can give him a clap. Do you want to clap manually or do you want me to do the thing? The play the clap. What do you want to do? Like an acoustic clap. Yeah. You want that? Yeah, I don't know. It sounds like you're taking the piss. So I'm going to do this. Because we're at episode five, guys. Episode five of Born Funny. Uh, so far, do you want me to go through the list again? Yep. See if I can remember I said, it. we're going to get to 100 guests and I still want you to go through all of them. So far, we have had Luke McGregor. The ding. Ver- the very... F- no, I don't, no, I don't know. Manual said. Dinger. <laughs> Just so everyone listening to this podcast doesn't know, Nath pushes the buttons for the show and has all the sound effects. Yeah. So I have to manually say things. Yes. Yeah, so- Round of applause. Uh, ding. Uh, uh, Incorrect. Uh, Boom, tish. It's like your magic. Whatever you say happens. <laughs> I've got to have it. Otherwise, it'll take me a while. Give me a blow. Audio bones, put that in. <laughs> I have to beep that out, unfortunately. Um, um, episode five. Yeah. yeah epi- we've had Luke McGregor. Uh, then we had Matt O'Kine. And then we had uh, David Hughes. David Hughes. Jen Fricker. Jen Fricker. What'd you say? Jen, I'm trying to do it at the same time as you. Oh. For some reason, you keep pausing. It sounded like you said Trams Fricker. <laughs> we interviewed we did- one of the Melbourne Trams. <laughs> Very funny. Um, uh, Cal Wilson, episode five. Very yeah. funny, Cal Wilson. Uh, probably loved, one. Of th- I think we say it in the in the chat. Mm. Loved Cal growing up on mm. Skid House. Like Nathan and I were one of the great improvisers. Yeah, it was we had a crush. Had yeah. a huge crush on her. Massive crush. Um, still do, Cal. If you're listening, <laughs> I know. Ooh, you wait to hear this saucy app. <laughs> I didn't bring that up in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't actually. Now you're no. telling me now. I had it on a. So we have a shout out to our producers. Um, we've had a few. Mm. Maybe it's a bloody rotating door, isn't it? At the moment. <laughs> Keys in the bowl situation. <laughs> Come in. Oh, what'd you get? I've got Jimmy and I. I got the hit Jeep again. <laughs> um, uh, no, yeah, I, I didn't bring it up in the chat because I was like, ah, you know, I didn't want someone to feel uncomfortable. Just be like, I used to have a crush on you. I wish you felt the same about me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I enjoy making you yeah, feel uncomfortable. Fair enough. That's yeah. why I asked you for a blow. <laughs> there. Mm. The weird thing was, I gave it. Uh, yeah, we had to come back in. No, mm. look, a cow. Great story. Um, yeah, born and raised in New Zealand, back in Australia. And so, the thing I loved about Cal so much is so lovely and so appreciative of every, like, didn't have a bad word to say about anybody. Like, she had some shit happen to her and she just was like, oh, yeah, you know, we keep pushing on, don't we? And so just lovely. Overwhelmingly positive. Mm. Um, and it's funny that came out of the chart and you're going to hear it. Um, just like, just felt good about life. Yeah. I was like, what a great, great human to spend an hour with. Absolutely. So, episode five with Cal Wilson, get into it, mate. And, uh, uh, the whole time, just imagine Jimmy with a huge crush on her. <laughs> <laughs> Little Jimmy, legs folded in front of the TV, watching Skid <laughs> Ah, funny people. An odd bunch, really. Not your usual folk. They've been making us knee slaps since the ancient Greeks. But what makes these real-life jesters tick? Perhaps today, we should ask this person. Hello, I'm Cal Wilson. Tell me... Were you born funny? I reckon you'd have to ask my mum. <laughs> Great, we got the wrong person. <laughs> Nate, please get the round of applause ready for a stand-up comedian who has made her way across the ditch, born in New Zealand. She studied a Bachelor of Arts at the University of Canterbury. Sounds fancy. She has won New Zealand's most prestigious comedy award, the Billy T. She's a regular at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. You would have seen her on some of our favourite ever comedy shows like Skid House, Rove Live, Thank God You're Here, Good News Week, Spicks and Specs, Haven't Been Paying Attention, the list goes on and on, but that, that'll do. Uh, please welcome <laughs> to the show, the bloody hilarious Cal Wilson! Cal Wilson, wow! <laughs> Honestly, you can see, I'll show you a photo of it, Cal. I mean, you can see how much, all the yellow is just all yeah, the shit wow. that you've done. So, Well, no, that's just, we gave up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I just lost interest. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, Cal, I mean, first things first, thanks so much for coming in. How, how have you been? How are things going? I know um, Melbourne International Comedy Festival uh, around the corner. I uh, got a show yeah. for that, supposedly. How's, how's all the prep for that going? It feel it, this time of year feels like comedians Christmas, but it also feels like comedians maybe haven't done any Christmas shopping, or um, they've bought presents, but we don't know if people will like them. So it's kind of like really exciting, but also nerve wracking. Yeah, how much? I mean, everyone answers this question differently, but when you're preparing a set, of course, you've been doing this for such a long time. How much work are you putting into it, and versus how much do you like trust? This is funny. People will laugh. 
Oh, lots of prep. And then uh, you get on stage and you find out if you were right. <laughs> and then sometimes something happens on stage and you're like, that is way better than what I wrote. So like, like the show at the start of the festival and at the end of the festival was probably like uh, 25% different. Oh, wow. By the end, I reckon. Okay. So you're saying it's, it's see you on later of the tour. Like Brisbane's going to get a better show no, than Sydney. No. <laughs> Man, I didn't think that answer through. It's just, um, it's just, uh, it's just um, what appeals to you at the time because, you know, you, like you say the same thing over and over again and then when you come up with a new joke, that's always the most exciting joke because you've never said it before and you want to see if it works again. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the show does change. But, you know, and, and I like to chat to my audience as well, so there's, there's always moments that only happen once because someone will have said something great yeah. in the audience. My favourite is when a comedian on stage surprises themselves. And says oh, something, they're yes. like, holy shit, man, I've been working on this for weeks and I've just come up with that and it's funny that any of it, does that happen to you often, Cal? Oh, so much. And so often uh, you'll be like to the tech, just write that down. Like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, that's just come, like, it's like it's flashed through your head, like a lightning bolt and it's come out your mouth without it going <laughs> well, through your brain. Like, you're like, oh, I don't know who did that, but that was great. <laughs> and then, yeah, like I record everything now on my watch so that I can... Um, go back and find the fleeting genius. Oh. We, were, we were watching Jimmy Carr the other night and, he, and he, you could see he was doing it on the spot. He was talking about how the Australian accent sounds like they're in pain. And then he stops and he leans through the curtain. He's like to his manager or somebody's like, write that down. I yeah. think there's a bit in that. I actually <laughs> yeah, really want to. Yeah. I love that you record it on your watch like a, like a super spy. <laughs> oh, like, it's like I'm retro-futuristic. Like I feel like a Jetson or something. It's probably an old reference that you're too young to get. Um <laughs> No, me, yeah, George Jetson, mm. his boy Elroy. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Thank, thank you for preparing uh, your old pop culture reference. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've done a lot yeah, of watching. I put it on my watch because it's like right by my face because I'm holding the mic. Yeah, okay, all right, okay, that makes sense. Um, so, Cal, let's go back to, to the beginning. What's your, what's your earliest memory growing up? doesn't have to be funny, but what's your earliest memory growing up? My earliest memory growing up is uh, climbing out of my cot in one of those sleeping bags that has arms in it. So, yep. you know, you're like your feet, you're in a bag up to your neck, but you've got arms. Yeah. And I remember getting out of my cot and, and like uh, potato sack hopping down the hallway and trying to reach the door handle to get into the living room. Okay. After I'd been put to bed. That's, I mean, that's not funny, but I, <laughs> oh, it, it is. It is funny. Okay. Physical humor is what she went yeah. with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Slapstick kind of So, do you, yeah. do you think you were funny as a, as a child? I think so, but maybe not always on purpose. Like, I remember once um, getting stuck on a seesaw with, like, like you know, the middle of the seesaw where the kind of pivot is. Somehow yeah. I, I accidentally got stuck on that in the splits, and so I was just trapped, kind of seesawing, screaming in agony. And my mum was laughing so hard she couldn't get me off the seesaw. Right. Like, it was a, a pivotal moment in many ways, just if... Just Barbara, like, can't do anything. It's too funny. So from then, I mean, as a young kid, did you realise that putting yourself through pain can often make people laugh? Is, <laughs> is that something that you recall and, and use? Eventually, but I was more into words. Like I, like I do, the first joke I remember deliberately making was going, I'm going to say, instead of it's all part of the contract, I'm going to say it's all part of the contraction. <laughs> and I didn't know what a contraction was, but I knew that it would be funny if I said the wrong word. And so my brother said something to me and I said that and he laughed and thought I was just really stupid. But I was like, yeah, so is that I meant to get that laugh. Is that the first joke you remembered telling that really landed? I think so. Or, yeah, yeah. And then uh, I think the reason that I got funny was just that I was uh, like, I loved the laughter. Come from a family of storytellers, but also was really shy. And if you make someone laugh, you don't have to have a proper conversation because I never really knew what to say. Right. So if, you, if you keep ahead of people when you're cracking jokes, they like you. And also you don't have to be real with them. <laughs> <laughs> so do you remember, Cal, having conversations, say, at home around the dinner table and those awkward family conversations, you're like, I don't really give a shit. And all you were thinking was, how can I get a gag in here? Was that how your mind operated? Not then. I think later. I think the more you the more you do comedy for a living, like the more you do, you, you're in observation mode all the time. And probably a lot of comedians, you don't get very many alpha comedians. Like Tom Gleason is like a an alpha comedian, or Jimmy Carr, or someone like that. But a lot of comedians are sort of self deprecating, and they're observers, and maybe they weren't quite in the thick of all the action, but they were they were checking it out from the side of the room, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. Like we have the powers of observation, but the more you spend time doing comedy, the more you look for that stuff. Like, and I always have a notebook and write notes on my phone and stuff whenever something happens. Like, you do kind of go, oh, there could be something in that. So how old were you when you were telling that joke to your brother about the contract contraction? Do you remember? I mean, it's, it's, not, it's a pretty shit joke. Um, <laughs> no, trust me, we've heard a lot of first jokes. Yeah, Actually, yeah. you're doing quite well. Yeah, you, you don't want to know Matt, Matt O'Kine's first yeah. joke. <laughs> I do. Um, 
I reckon I must have been like seven or eight. eight. Right, okay. And so was that just, again, you know, you're talking about being addicted to the laughter. At that point, are there are there funny people around you? Is comedy interesting you? Or is it just something yeah. that you enjoy? Yeah, I mean, my family on my dad's side are all massive storytellers. Like, So I always said uh, it was like monologue relay. <laughs> so one person would just talk until they ran out of breath and then someone else would jump in and take over. And my grandmother developed a technique of circular breathing. So she was unstoppable. Um, but yeah, like, so I grew up around people that like to tell stories and like to laugh. And then my, on my mum's side of the family, everyone's very self-deprecating and they're always happy to tell you a story about how they f***ed something up. Like, yeah, yeah. So there was always laughter and there was always storytelling. Yeah. So that was a, yeah, so that was a big part of it. I Is think. There, just, were there anyone in like the entertainment industry or were they just funny people like naturally? Like what were their, what were their jobs? What, you, what did your parents funny, do? Just naturally good storytellers. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Just, so that, like, that storytelling, I mean, you're obviously you're listening and you're learning. Did, was there ever a moment where you sat down and you're kind of like, you know, I don't know, dad, teach me how to tell a story? Or was it one of those things where you learnt no. it from listening to how learnt we did it? Learnt it from listening. And, and my dad uh, is very good at telling you a story that you've already heard 700 <laughs> times before. And even when you go, oh, yeah, I know this one, dad, it's about the ping pong ball in the science lab. Who go, yes, it was. And what happened? And then you just go back into the story. So I think... <laughs> I was prepared for polishing a story. Okay. Yeah, so then, yeah. so back, you, you're at that age. Are you, are you looking to pursue it? Are you doing any sort of comedy or skit stuff? Or like, are you a good student? Are you studious? I was a, I was a real goody two-shoes, like <laughs> school prefect. Really? Never, never, I was going to say never arrested anyone. Not that much power. Uh, never, you know, never gave anyone <laughs> attention. Citizen's arrest. <laughs> imagine, imagine if that, oh, prefect's arrest. Wilson's gone. <laughs> Someone's used incorrect grammar in English and she's pinned them down. Principal calls in Cal Wilson. Are you arresting kids in the playground again? (laughs) Someone's got to do it. I think it's for their own good. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so you are you? Do you excel at school? Like, are you are you very smart as well? I'm 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 pretty good, like with language, and you know, I loved English and I loved writing and things. So I was writing like poetry and short stories and things like that. And I think (laughs) the first performance I remember giving is back when I was a kid. I think I was about six or seven. And I drew faces on polystyrene cups and made my older brother sit behind the table with me in the living room. And we did a play that I was making up on the spot with amongst all of the polystyrene cup characters. And I was like, now you make him say this. And then he'd have to say the thing. And I, I remember it as quite a short time, but I think for everyone watching it, it was like several years out of their life. Like I don't think it was... Any good, but I was definitely committed to it. What about when you're like at school again? I mean, you're doing obviously like a big part of schooling is is that presentation stuff. When you when you're giving a, a book presentation, or whatever, did you find a way to weave humour into those? Were you were you using that as a tool for for your academics? Not not at that stage. I think like I love playing with words. I was doing speech and drama, so I was doing like sort of exams for speeches and stuff. But but it hadn't. Like I thought I wanted to be an actor, but I had no idea how you'd go about that. Uh, and I figured I'd probably end up being a teacher because that's a job that you had. Like, my mum was a teacher. Yep. But then when I was in my last year of high school, theatre sports happened in New Zealand. And so I was taking drama, and we started doing it in drama. And I was terrible at it, but I loved it. Just loved the immediacy and the spontaneity. Because, like, you know, when you're with your good mates, you're all cracking jokes together and bouncing off each other. And, and good improv is that. And so I really loved that. And I was like... I, I, and I think probably that's around the time when I was discovering that, you know, being funny is a currency as well. Like I was never a cool kid, but in that last, last year at high school, like we, we won a competition run by the local radio station for theatre sports and, and like we were kind of, people kind of like, were like, oh, you're actually cool to hang out with because you're funny and you make us laugh. <laughs> and that was sort of the start of everything, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, this is one of the reasons I was really excited to talk about you, uh, to, to you, Cal, as well, because uh, we've spoken to quite a few comics already, stand-up comedians who have had a different path. But that improv, that that improv world is really where you you grew. You grew Absolutely. that comedy scene. You're on Whose Line Is It Anyway? Uh, you won improv competitions. You, uh, I mean, can you tell us about you, you started an, an improv company? Is that yeah. true? So we were just really lucky at it was like a moment in time when there were really talented people in Christchurch and there's one professional theatre there. And so they went, oh, you can just have free rehearsal space, which is not something that happens at all now. Yeah. And uh, a guy that ended up founding the company had moved over from Canada and he started the company up and we'd just won this competition. And so he asked us to be part of the company. 
And so we were doing this late night Friday night show at 11 o'clock on the main stage at the Court Theatre. It was called Scared Scriptless. And we just learned how to be funny on stage. Like we, we got all our training on stage and our audience kind of learnt with us. Like we ended up with quite a sort of feminist audience at that stage in the early 90s as well, which was quite gratifying because I guess there were really strong-minded women in the cast. Yeah. But it was just, I've been so fortunate that my training happened on stage because really that's where you learn everything is when you're on stage. But I was also getting paid for it. So we'd get a cut from the tickets and it wasn't much, like maybe 50 bucks or something like that. But it was this amazing training ground with all of these amazing people and it, yeah, just I, I feel like it. It just everything fell into place with that. And so it was like thirty-two years ago or something like that. And the show still goes on in Christchurch. It's still the oh, wow. oh. company <laughs> um, that still do a late night improv show. And you, so it's really it's <clears throat> so lovely that that's still happening. That's like, do you ever go back and do, do yeah, they ever do they get back? Oh yeah. wow! And how how does that work? Do you I mean do you surprise them? Do you let them know? Oh, really? Cal Wilson's Cal- here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stop everybody! Stop! I'm here. <laughs> Uh, you sit down. This is mine. Um, no, like I'll get in touch and say how I'm back in town or they'll go, are you are you coming back for Christmas? Do you want to do a show or something like that? So I haven't done it for a wee while. Um, but yeah, it's always great. And it's so, it's it's just causing trouble. Like for me, my, like I love being the mischief on stage, it's, which is quite hard to do when you're by yourself. You can't kind of, you yeah. can't kind of thwart yourself on stage. But doing improv, there's nothing more, uh, there's nothing more enjoyable than putting another improviser in a tricky spot and watching them get out of it. Like <laughs> yeah. it's so enjoyable. Like not not f- seen up, but just giving them something they weren't expecting. And the thing that I always think, and like I absolutely acknowledge that bad improv is the worst thing you've ever seen in your life, and it's excruciating, <laughs> right? Just horrifying. And I've seen terrible improv, but good improv is sublime. Like it really is a moment that will never happen again. Like there's just all of these factors that fall into place. And I always say that um, when you're working with someone else, you come up with far more than you can come up with your, on your own. And so when I do workshops with kids about creativity and stuff, I, I say uh, two brains isn't a brain plus a brain. It's a brain times a brain. So you come up with, like, you make me an offer and then I add something to it and we end up somewhere that neither of us were expecting, but it's amazing. Like, yeah. it's just joyful. Do you think that, I mean, that love of improv and um, that skill that you've honed over so many years, do you feel like even when you're up there by yourself doing your stand-up, you're almost untouchable because you're so used to, to live and, and reacting in the moment? Is that, a, is that a real skill that has allowed you to really accelerate your stand-up? Yeah, I'm, I'm not afraid. If I forget what I'm talking about, I don't care. Yeah. Like, but, but that's not to say that I'm invincible because some nights the audience just doesn't get on board or there's something weird that's happened or you're not entirely on form or there's just like every night is different and everyone has a bad day at work, but not everyone's job is in front of lots of people. <laughs> so like if you're a plumber, it's probably only the, the homeowner that knows that you completely screwed up their bath. But like if you're on stage or on the radio, everyone can see or hear you have a shit day. <laughs> So what you're saying is we need more audiences. Let's get together and watch some plumbers. (laughs) it up. Tradies deserve to be seen. (laughs) Cal, can I ask that you talk about like uh, before when you're at your end of high school and so you're you're doing this for the first time, doing the improv stuff, and you said you weren't good at it. So uh, a lot of people that Nathan and I chat to who want to get into comedy or want to get into performing arts, whatever, they, they, they do it once maybe and they're like, oh, I was so bad at it. How did you keep going? Was it you just had that determination, or was it, it a, felt great? Okay, because <laughs> it felt great and exciting, and I want to do that again, and I want to be better at it. And you just learn to trust yourself and kind of step in without necessarily having an idea. Yeah. And because improv is such a collaboration, uh, you kind of know that if if you're playing with other good improvisers, that they're, they're going to catch you if you fall. Like. Yeah. It, the responsibility is not all on you. It's on, on you all as a group, whereas with stand-up, you're on your own. Yeah, okay. Do you remember the first time? So you doing all this improv, it is going so well. You're absolutely loving it. When do you decide to be a bit of a Beyonce, break away from the group, <laughs> break away from the group and go, I'm going to have a crack, just me and the microphone. Do you remember that moment? I do. Well, this is the weird thing, right? So we do we do corporate gigs with the Court Jesters, which is what our improv company was called. Yep. And so we'd go out and we'd do improv sets at, at companies and there are so many bad gig stories. (laughs) Um, uh, But our our company director said, okay, we're offering our corporate clients like improv sets, but we should be able to offer them something else. So you, you and you go and try stand up. So it wasn't really something I was really intending to do, but we, I went away and wrote a set and we did it 
at the pub next door to the theatre and our audience came because they knew us from improv and Christchurch didn't have stand-up. So it was, I mean, it was barely adequate, but it was fine. And they, you know, like they were, they were already on our side and we, we did it. The first stand-up set went really great. And then I didn't know that you could just keep honing your material as a stand-up. I thought you had to do new material every time. Now I have heritage-listed material, right? I've got <laughs> jokes that I've been saying for a million years that I will, you know, pluck out of the air or whatever. But the second time I did stand-up, I was like, oh, well, I've got to write a whole new set. And so I wrote like 15 minutes of new material. And when I performed it, I remembered everything except the punchlines. <laughs> So I just do like this preamble and this setup, and the audience will be like, "Yep, okay, where are we going with this?" Yeah. Oh nope, she's just moved on. She's moved on. <laughs> Talking about something else now, right? And we're oh nope, different subject. Like so, it was an absolute disaster. Did you know you were missing the punchlines, or were you? Oh yeah, I was like, I don't know what's, I don't know, I don't know where that was going. <laughs> like fifteen minutes of new material, like what an ambitious thing. Yeah. My second go, but yeah, I just keep doing it, and it's a different. And I came second on a TV comedy competition doing stand-up. And then Is that around the job. same time? Yeah, yeah. So I was still doing improv. And then... Um, Are you at uni as well, by the way, at this time? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I'm doing um, classical studies and drama, which is an incredibly useful Bachelor of Arts. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so I was, doing, I was doing university. I was doing improv. I was working in a supermarket part-time and I was uh, trying stand-up. And then I ended up getting a job writing for a TV show off the stand-up comedy competition. Can I ask wow. about some of the improv? Yeah, you said some, there were some bombs. There were some really bad nights. I think that people we've spoken to have said that they learn the most from the bad nights. Yes. Is there a, do you have a lesson? Is there like a really bad night that stands out and you go, oh, I learned this from it. I, I want to hear about the bad night. Yeah. I, want, I want to know when it all went wrong. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the bad nights I mainly remember are corporate gigs because, yeah. because you're doing that not in front of a home audience. So yeah. the, the probably the worst gig ever was for a uh, was for a chicken factory, okay. and it was their Christmas party. And so we turn up at the chicken factory, and there's like tumbleweeds made out of chicken feathers all in the <laughs> in the car park. And so we get in, and we found out later that we'd been hired specifically to try and slow the drinking down because the, they, <laughs> the workers like the 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 chicken processors just get too pissed, and so. We got there. Classic the chicken party, people. Yeah, the, party, <laughs> the party had started in the staff canteen. The party had started at four o'clock. We got there at five and it was already too late. It was oh, too late. Shit. So they were all like, they're still in their, in their gear. Like they were drunk and they were annoyed. And the reason they were annoyed was that their Christmas dinner was just plates of chicken drumsticks. <laughs> what, they work so, with like, chicken they were all day, every day. Yeah. Eat the thing that they'd just prepared. So yeah. they, were, they were in a bad mood. And also they were really annoyed because. They'd put our stage, which was just two pallets on top of each other, right up against the bar. So we were like a physical barrier <laughs> to the bar. So, so they stopped doing, drinking while you're doing it. Yeah, while we're doing our wacky improvisation. They have a room in the house. What's an occupation? Uh, there's just like annoyed people just pushing us aside and going and getting a jug of beer. And it just, it was, there was such a feeling of danger and tension in that room. <laughs> and so we're doing, we're doing a game, which is puppets, which is where you do the talking, the audience member moves your body like you're a puppet. And yeah. so we got, Two people that we thought weren't that drunk up to move <laughs> us. That was not true. Uh, so, so there's this woman that's supposed to be moving uh, John's arms, and he's giving like offers of like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna punch you to the other actor." And instead of moving his arms, she goes, "Yeah, why don't you hit him? He's a f delicate lady garden." <laughs> Didn't say delicate lady garden. Yeah, you know, yeah I can imagine. Yeah. 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 So and and so just and it was just like we were genuinely sort of fearing for our safety. And then they just got tired of us and they just pelted us with chicken drumsticks oh. until we left the building. Oh, cow. <laughs> it was like you know the, the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan. It was like that, but with chicken. Yeah. It was so just a so, hail I mean, of drumsticks. So how many how, how many of you went out there? What you what, four of you? Three of us. Three, three, of us. three of you out yep. there. The drive home after the chicken set. What are you what are you guys talking about in the car? What are, are you I sitting in just silence? Laughing hysterically. Yeah. Like just laughing hysterically. <laughs> there was another one we did uh, for real estate agents and we do this thing where we play someone's first date as like a Shakespearean love story. This is what we were doing at the time and so there's all these real estate agents uh, and we go, um, is there a couple? Is there a couple in the audience that's very much in love? And everyone starts going, Stan and Narelle, Stan and Narelle. 
Stan and Narelle. And they're all a bit too excited about Stan and Narelle. And Stan and Narelle are kind of awkward and don't want to do it. But yeah. we're like, no, come on, Stan and Narelle. <laughs> and so we're interviewing Stan and Narelle. Now, Stan, what did you first love about, what did you love the first um, about Narelle? And Narelle, what do you think one of Stan's best qualities? And they, they're gamely answering. And then we replay their, their love story. And the crowd is going too bonkers. Like they are having too much of a good time. And we leave the gig, we get back, uh, and a couple of days later we get a phone call from the organiser of the gig going, oh, f- that was so funny. Because, you know, we're really funny. Like, Stan and Norella are getting divorced. Oh. And it, like, like everyone had just like thrown them under the bus. And we'd been standing there going, so Stan, what do you love the most about Norella? Like it was just like, <laughs> that was a weird delayed horror. Any, any chance you save their marriage though? <laughs> Look, let's believe that. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know. Um, we don't they know. Went, you know what? No, the first <laughs> thing I loved about Narelle was a rise. I've forgotten. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, Cal, let's go back. So the stand-up's going off. You win the award. You start writing for the show. When do you decide? I mean, obviously, you've got, you've, you've got the side jobs as well, working in a supermarket, still at uni. When is there the decision to go, you know what? This is me now. I'm doing this full-time. This is now my occupation. Um, I think... I think I thought I still thought I was going to be an actor and auditioned for the court theatre and they're like come back in a couple of years you're good but you need experience and then by that stage uh, I was like oh I may, maybe uh, maybe I can just do improv for a while and be an actor kind of thing you know just planning on going up to Wellington and knocking on the theatre door and going I would like to be in your ensemble please with no <laughs> no thought of how to like <laughs> get a foot in the door yeah. and then getting the writing job on the sketch show that was kind of like my my end so. Um, I still wanted to be an actor at that point, but then as stand-up went on, I kind of went, oh, no, this is actually what I love to do. But it, but my career has always been, I always call it, it's like muesli, like it's always been little different nutritious bits that make up the whole. So I did loads of voiceovers. I did lots of radio um, ads and things like that. And so that was kind of like one income stream. And then I was doing, still doing corporate improv gigs and still doing stand-up you know, at the local pub kind of thing. So it was always, there was always more than one thing happening. Right. How's, okay. how's your um, family taking that and friends? Like, are they very supportive? Oh. Are they like, get a real job? Mum, mum and dad were constantly worried. I think it, <laughs> it was, I don't know, 15 years in, they stopped asking me what my plan B was. <laughs> um, and my plan B was to go into advertising. I was like, I'll be a copywriter. Cause I used to write ads for the university radio station. Yeah. Um, and I was like, well, I'll do, I'll do something that's creative, but has more, sort of job security. Yeah. And then it took me though, it took me ages. I reckon it took me more than five years to actually admit to being a comedian because I think I felt like I didn't deserve the title. Like I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a performer because I was kind of like, oh, weird. But someone might go, oh, but you're not funny enough to be a comedian kind of yeah. thing before I went, oh, you know. And then I hosted Raw Comedy once and a guy who was getting up to do his first gig, I said, how do you want to be introduced? And he goes, oh, I'm a comedian from Ringwood. And I was like, mate, you've not even been on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Gig one. Gig yeah. one, buddy. Gig one. But I wish I had your confidence. <laughs> yeah. What about your friends and, and everything, everyone around you who, who weren't performers, Cal? Did they find you funny? Did they say you should really have a crack at this? Or All of my friends were performers, really. Some people keep their high school friends as like their kind of core friends. For me, it was my improv company friends that are all of my friends still now over 30 years later. They're the ones that are my heart friends. So we yeah. all were kind of doing the the same things. And so we all had planned, you know, like late teens, early twenties, everything was possible. Anything was possible. So at that stage that we were all going to be actors and performers and comedians. Could I ask you, when you mentioned your parents 15 years in, they finally went, all right, maybe, maybe she's got it. Yeah. Was there, was there a specific moment or was it just the time frame of 15 just years? Fi- just finally, it was just finally <laughs> <laughs> after, after all of the different jobs and writing columns, weirdly the thing that they were most proud of me was Dancing with the Stars, with stars <laughs> like 14 years ago. She's made it. She has made it. Oh, She's a star. She got, she got knocked out four weeks in, but didn't she have a good show? <laughs> but I think because it was like, that was the show that they loved. Oh, and then I did QI a few years ago, and they were really thrilled about that. But um, like I'll tell my dad, I'll be because dad should not do this, but he goes on the internet and looks for stuff about me. And I'm like, no, that, that way madness lies. <laughs> yeah. It's not a good thing to do. What do they think about the Great Australian Bake Off, Cow? Are they, are they stoked with that? Is that like yeah, a, really she's made it? That. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the new host. Congratulations, by the way. Thank it's you. exciting. Thank yeah. Um, oh my God, what a dream job. <laughs> Make jokes, eat cake. <laughs> yeah, now, now, I think now you've made it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you can tell if you've do officially you, made do it. Your, did your parents come, did your dad come to any stand up or were they? 
they've they, when I do shows in Christchurch, they'd come to my shows. Yeah. The, the big thing for me was like because I was the youngest in the family, I had these two older brothers, we'd fight all the time, and uh, it was a big deal for me when my whole family came and watched the show, and they were they were all really kind of blown away. Like my brothers were really impressed because I'd always been like the annoying little sister and like, oh, you know, I'd always get the, oh, I guess you had to be there if I'd crack a joke. <laughs> yeah, you know, good one. Zinger. Good one. Yeah. So they're and comedians see, as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just, just, just say it's so, so cold, isn't it? Oh, yeah. to be there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Zinger. Zinger. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the, you know, seeing them be impressed by what I'd done, I was like, oh, wow, I can... Because I'd go back home to my family and just go, oh, I'm not funny anymore. Like, it took me years to get over that as well of kind of to go, oh, no, actually, I'm an adult human being. I'm allowed to drink wine in front of my parents and I'm funny. Yeah. I mean, you were talking about the stand-up scene and, and all that kind of stuff in Christchurch and then there wasn't a huge one at that particular time. Was there a female comedian that you looked up to or were you, were you watching a lot of comedy as well or was it just more focusing on the stuff you're doing at the time? At the time, the the... A thing that had a massive influence on me was um, a cassette of Comic Relief in the UK. It was like 1988, and it was like, it's like they had a big charity fundraiser, but they had everybody like Lenny Henry and French and Saunders and um, Kate Bush and Rowan Atkinson and the young ones and Ben Elton, all of these people on this cassette doing these uh, these great sketches and sets. And I had never heard stand-up before that. And when I heard Ben Elton doing this routine, I was like, oh, you can do that. You can just talk like that really blew my mind there was a um a duo called the front lawn who were who were this wonderful absurd duo who would play music and do these weird little sketches and do short movies and things and and they were hilarious and again it was one of those things of like oh you can do you can do what you want like so I kind of had my eyes opened just by people doing things it was so far outside what I would end up doing but just really got me excited create, creatively just to go, oh, there are no rules. You can just do what you want. Yeah. Do, yeah. So you love that, the, the freedom side of things as well. The yeah, fact that yeah. you can, you could say whatever the f*** you want. Yeah, totally. And, and the validation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can say anything, but you know. It's a, Should you? Speech, Should you? Yeah. yeah free yeah. speech also means that people are free to say they didn't like it. Yeah. So. <laughs> and cancel you apparently. Yeah. yeah, not yeah, something. yeah so yeah. can I ask, Cal, when you're, so you've, you've gone the show, you're writing on that. What's, what's sort of happening after that? Like when do you move to Australia? When does that happen? Um, so I moved to Australia in 2003. I sort of slowly moved up the country. I went Christchurch, Wellington, Auckland, lived in Auckland for seven years and came over and saw had got a spot on up front at the Melbourne Comedy Festival and just was at the festival and was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. Um and then went through a horrible breakup and was like, well this is a good time to move a country. Like let's leave. <laughs> run, uh, and run. so yeah. and, and then got a job on Skit House. So they producers had come to see my show at the festival that year and had auditioned me and said, oh, we'll let you know in a couple of months. And so I was like, well, okay, I'm either moving to Australia with a job or I'm moving to Australia without a job. And fortunately for me, the job came through. And it was just such a great introduction because I'd met, I'd met the rest of the cast at the comedy festival. So it was like coming to a new school, but you'd meet the kids over the summer holidays kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I was just really fortunate. It to- was great because I remember, like, to me, uh, Skit House, Rove Live, thank God you're here. That was the comedy on TV mm. for me. Yeah. Like that—that yep. that was what I used to watch, and I was like, "This to me is comedy." Nathan and I were yeah. arguing. You're bef- on all three of us. We, we were arguing before <laughs> the podcast. We were like, "Can we say we grew up with Cal?" Is <laughs> this a- yeah. yes. We can. Um, I have I have come to be at peace with people going. My grandmother loves you. Um, <laughs> Come to terms with that. <laughs> because, I mean, Skid House, I mean, you, you have this ability to write. You've done writing before. You've done improv. You've done stand-up. A new skill now is crafting these sketches and having them ready for live, uh, I guess, for live TV. How, how did that skill uh, come across? Were, were you enjoying it? Did, you, did it start slow or straight away? You're like, nah, bang, I'm going to smash this. Oh, it's kind of like the... Like you, you just kind of trying to generate stuff and see if it works. And then you have like read throughs with the other writers and the producers will go, oh no, that needs a different ending or it needs a stronger punchline or something like that. And you just kind of, you just work at it, but you're in a room with lots of creative people and there's lots of laughter going on as well. And things also come up out of playing around, you know, so like on the makeup bus or something, some of the actors are mucking around and that might turn, those characters might turn into a sketch sort of thing so it's kind of yeah like you never you get to work some days and be like there's nothing funny <laughs> don't have any ideas but but you know you'd manage to get something down <laughs> did you ever th- i mean that's an interesting topic did you ever think 
I'm not funny anymore. That's it. It's not funny. Well, Did you have every those moments? Every single comedy festival show, <laughs> every single, like before any big thing, I'm, I'm, I'm sure other comedians are like this. You're like, oh, why did I, how have I, I'm not funny. Why would I do this for a job? <laughs> like, like you'd kind of date yourself and then you do it and you're like, oh, that's why I do it. Cause it's amazing. But you know, you, I don't think you ever get past nerves yeah. of some degree, like not as, not as crippling as they used to be certainly, but you, if you're not nervous, you're not paying enough attention. So going back again, so you've come over Australia, you got yep. skiddess and stuff. Is that like, what, what else are you doing? Are you still doing the stand up? Are you still doing improv? Like, have you found improv in Australia? Did you find I a group? I haven't really. I kind of just, I, I feel like um, I had such a beautiful experience at the start that nothing could ever replace that company that I was in at the start. And I had a yep. great improv time in Wellington and in Auckland. But when I came to Melbourne, because I was doing Skit House, I didn't have time to kind of find an improv company. Yep. I, I did, I think, a couple of things with Melbourne Improv that were really fun, but just it kind of fell by the wayside because I had a full-time job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did it feel like, I mean, you had your, like, almost like a pseudo-ensemble again. You've got Gleason, Helias yeah. in there, uh, Fiona Harris, Damien Callahan, all on Skit House. I mean, this is an yeah. all-star comic class. Like, was there a totally. sense of, like, I found my ensemble again, it's just now on TV? Yeah, it was really, yeah. Like, I loved them all. Like, I just, you know, and again, they're still my old dear friends. Like, yeah. Tom Gleason was so great. He he would do this thing for me because I would make pop culture references that I would assume that everyone would know. But turns out Australia didn't get that show. And he goes, look, <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you 15 minutes every day to just uh, laugh at your pop culture references that make you feel heard. Like, just, just come on, bring it on. Like, <laughs> oh, yes, we also had the good night Kiwi. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> But they were, you know, like, and Scott Brennan and stuff, like, we're, we're still, yeah, it's still just, they're just a joyful bunch of people. And it was, again, like, a privilege to be, just to be around people being amazing. Like, it's so exciting to see people be great. Yeah, absolutely. Does it, does it feel like a different time now than then? Like, again, the way that, you know, especially with TV and stuff, like, you know, it's everyone's in streaming services, so many other things happening. Like, does it feel a very different time within the, the comedy and the performing space? I think so. And also because now, because we stream everything and we binge watch and you're watching things on all your different platforms, it's not that, you know, there's like water cooler talk. You don't go to work the next day and go, oh my God, did you watch Skid House last night? Because (laughs) no, you were watching Inside by Bo Burnham or you're watching (laughs) Mad Men again. (laughs) So there's not that kind of um, uniform, uniformity of experience, I guess. Uh, Cal, okay, so the TV's taking off. You're doing, you've done Thank God You're Here. You've done um, Rove Live, which would have been huge. I mean, Rove Live was massive at the time, the time you were mm. on it. But how did that come across? Like, how, how did you get the call up to Rove Live? Like, do you remember that phone call? Yeah, well, because Rove would do stuff with Skit House as well. And yeah. so, and also I think I was in a fortunate position of not really knowing about any hierarchy or I wasn't intimidated by anyone because I didn't have the background context. <laughs> sure. for... Don't know who any of you people are. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. I'll do your little show, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, but like, you know, like it took me years to figure out Molly Meldrum. I was like, yeah. but I don't, how, what is Molly Meldrum? Like, like, <laughs> hey, we still don't know. <laughs> like, like it took me ages to go, okay, right. Yeah. He's your icon. But I was like, but he's a man's with a woman's name and he, I don't know what's happening. Like The, the hat. What's it? Why the hat? Yeah. yeah. Always the hat. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, so I, I think I was fortunate that I came in without any um, preconceptions about anyone um, and doing Rove Live like the night one of the nights that I was on um, Katie Lang and Tony Bennett were backstage oh, wow. and I love <laughs> Katie Lang and and they watched me do stand up and when I when I came back backstage they were like oh that was great yeah. and I was like wow <laughs> and Katie Lang what an incredibly charismatic well, she was like Elvis like yeah, just yeah. this incredible presence so there were like little things like that are great yeah, exactly. 100%. Does, do those moments, I mean, do you have other moments like that in your career that you, is that, re- like, you're like, wow, I really am funny. There's, here's someone I, I adore and I admire telling me that I'm funny. Yeah, I think, and what what's um, what's really lovely is when someone says something to you that something you've said has changed something for them. Like, yeah. like I had a bit in my show one year about um, having anxiety and about, um like the, the, the mantra that I would tell myself uh, was could happen, probably won't, and yeah. how useful I found that. And like with kind of like gags all the way through it. And then someone messaged me and said that I'd really help them deal with their anxiety. And I was really um, touched and pleased that that it had an impact on someone else. Or like, you know, when I do the Guilty Feminist podcast, I get lots of um, 
young women or non-binary people talking to me about that. And I really love that. Um, yeah, I love that sense of connection. I'm trying yeah. to think of when I've been starstruck by other people. I mean, doing QI was amazing because, yeah. yeah. you know, I was, I was on it with Stephen Fry and that was... <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. yeah, that was so lovely. And he was so generous as a host, like just so lovely. So, yeah, so it's, lo- it's, it's lovely when people that you admire in the industry become your colleagues and, it's, yeah, that's still... Can, can I ask, I don't know if you've, if you've thought much of your own career, and this is just, you know, from sort of our brief time together, but you're incredibly funny. As Nathan and I said, we grow up with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we, we've, you've always made us laugh so hard, but chatting to you now, you have this, 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 like this warmth and this kindness about you. Do you think that's played a huge part in your career as well? Like not just the talent, but you just, you just seem like, like right now, I'm like, I never want this to end. Yeah. You're just like oh, someone so that I'm be like, yeah. I want to give you a job. I don't have yeah. a job to give you. <laughs> like you just, so lovely. yeah, I don't, I can't really, yeah, put it into words, but it is, it's a feeling of war. It's like you're a friend that I've had forever, but you know, is, do you yeah, think that's I, played a part? I think so. And I think it's something that I've only become more conscious of as I've got older of kind of going, I want to include everybody. Like I don't want to be one of those comedians that has anyone in the audience walking out feeling like shit because yeah. of who they are. Like yeah. I don't, I want every trans person, every non-binary person, every gay person, every minority to feel absolutely valued and safe in my show. And it's, um, yeah. And I also, I've, I've, I'm a real cheerleader for other people as well. Like I just think, um, and I don't know why this has happened, but I just think, it's important to let people know how great they are. Yeah. That they've done a great job or that they've made a difference or had an impact. Because I think, especially now, as we're headed into the apocalypse, yeah. of, like, <laughs> like kindness and connection is really important. Yeah. And I think that's what we all look for, really. In the end, we all just want to feel like we're not alone and we're not a freak. Yeah. Is, that, is, that what, is that what funny, I guess, is for you, especially now? Like, you know, like you don't, isn't, what's the point? Like funny for, I mean, just for Nathan and I, like, you know, we put a radio show together that, you know, you hope everyone can be a part of, everyone can call yep. up and you just have an escape from reality. You know what I mean? Because there's so many awful things in the world mm. and then you've got to go back to life or whatever. Is, is that sort of how you see being funny comedy? I think so. I mean, it's really easy to, to be funny putting someone else down yeah. and it's, much harder to kind of be positive without making someone a victim or a target. Like yeah. I, you know, like obviously I don't give a f- about what white supremacists think about me or, <laughs> you know, misogynist or whatever. Like I don't care if you walk out of my show feeling like shit because I yeah. pointed something out, but yeah. Um, yeah, it is important to me that, yeah, that it's, a, that it's, I, I used to feel very combative to the audience, like in terms of how I, like I felt like, oh, I've got to go out and I've got to, I've got to win against them. I've got to win them over. But now I'm much more like, hey, come here, come with me. We're going to have fun together. So it's much more, yeah, I want it to be a joyful experience. Yeah. I mean, I, and I don't know if this is because, Cal, you grew up in such a sim- supportive environment. I mean, your, your family were big storytellers. Yes, they weren't in entertainment, but they were storytellers. You had your, your theatre sports ensemble who were all there for the same purpose. You had this supportive crew around you who were all kind of, I mean, working towards a similar goal. We've spoken to comics and comedians before who were constantly knocked on the head, constantly said no, constantly said if you're not funny and I guess that aggravates them a little bit. They feel a little bit disjointed with the industry and they're like no, 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 I will work just to prove you wrong. I am funny but I feel like with yourself because you've had this this beautiful environment around you the whole time do you feel like that's something that you've been able to feed your comedy energy off? I think partly but also when I was coming up like 30 years ago when I started there was only about five women in the industry in New Zealand. And because I'm a little sister with two other brothers that I used to fight with all the time, <laughs> I have that competitive thing of like, you're not going to get the better of me because I'm female. Like, yep. Yep. So, so there were times when I thought about working, walking away from, from improv and from stand-up when I was just like, it's too much of a boys club. I don't, I just, it's just too hard to keep punching on. And then I'd go, but if I leave, that's one less woman. Yeah. And so I've always hung around and I'm really excited by the younger women and non-binary people coming through that I'm like, oh, there's so many diverse voices. Like it used to just be straight white guys. And, and now there's just a diversity of like trans performers and, and people from different countries and just all these just different experiences. And that's really exciting to me. I feel like you ask me a question and then I just like go wide ranging out into the savannah. That's why I love like. this podcast, Cal. Yeah, that's but, why. I mean, there no, we told you at the start, no rules. You can yeah, say whatever the hell you want. We love it. And it, it can sort of go anywhere. But yeah. I, I don't know. I just think, you know, that, that speaks volumes for you. Do you get, just speaking of that, like, do you get back, like how much time do you spend in New Zealand? How much time do you spend in Australia? Like what is your, the biggest scene that you're part of? 
Oh, I'm in Melbourne. I've been in Melbourne since 2003. And yep. I try and go back and see my family at least once a year, but they're in Christchurch and the comedy scene is mainly in Auckland. Yep. Um, so I've gone back and done a panel show called Seven Days. I've done that over the years. Yep. But yeah, my, my whole career really has been in Australia. The reason I ask the question is like, I mean, you, you could answer for both, I guess. How how far do you feel like they've both come? Like how progressive are we, you know, here in Melbourne, but also, you know, back back in New Zealand? I think, yeah, I think they've definitely progressed. I mean, the, the senses of humour are more different than you'd expect. Like yeah. I remember coming here and being like, oh, I just thought we'd, I'd get everything. But just like there's such, <laughs> there's such a dryness to the, to the hum, sense of humour. Yeah. But New Zealand has this weird, um, this beautiful, it's kind of what the Concords represent of that kind of just like yeah. low key, seem to have low self-esteem, really oddball. Like there's a really beautiful strain of, of New Zealand comedians coming through like Rose Matafeo and um, just lovely, lovely, there's a softness to the comics I think that you don't get here and it's delightful in a whole other way. Like it seems almost like an innocence. Yeah. I mean, Cal, I mean, you've mentioned a few things already. We've talked about theatre sports, we've talked about sketch comedy, we've talked about TV, stand-up, all that kind of stuff. You've also written kids' books and you've done radio. Uh, the radio stuff. I stay mean, away from the radio, stay- right? <laughs> <laughs> I love radio. How did I that, love yeah, radio. It was you, you and Akmal at Nova, yep. wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. How, how did that come across? Um, that was great. What I loved about that was, uh, I loved the stories that we get from listeners. Like yep. I really, like my favorite talk topic we ever did was when has a cat saved your life? <laughs> because you hear stuff about dogs saving people all the time. And then I'd found an article in a newspaper saying a cat in America had dialed 911 for its owner. <laughs> like, it was like this supposedly trained support animal. And so I was like, well, when has a cat saved your life? And just getting people's stories about that. Yeah. Um, and Akmal, uh, is a, a a glorious, uh, shambolic human being. Yeah. <laughs> so there was, um, w- uh, our show was often used as compliance training. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> but, means you're a good show then. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. 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 But it was really fun. You know, it was, it was great. And yeah, it was, it's such a, such a privilege. Like, you know, people are willing to ring up and tell you something really personal about themselves yeah. or you make them feel, um, like you're their mates, like you're saying before, you know, you feel they're driving home with you in their car or whatever. It's such a different connection. And what I also enjoyed about it was that no one would recognize me until I opened my mouth. That was quite <laughs> good because sometimes I'm a bit socially awkward. And so it's quite, or, or I'm, I'm looking like shit because I've just woken up and I've still got like sheet creases in my face. And someone's like, do you want a photo? Can I have a photo? I'm like, no, they're not, but sure. Like, yeah, for you, of can, course. Can I ask yes. how we were looking over your career and stuff, and obviously we mentioned a bit of it at the start of the podcast, but one of the things that did, you know, Nathan and I had a look at in terms of your career, and you've done, you've done so much, we were like, we couldn't believe you hadn't done more radio. And especially now, like talking to you, having this warmth, I think that's so important for, you know, in radio, but also very funny. If it's not radio, is there something that you, you wish you'd have done more in your career or you're looking to do? I would love to have done more radio. Like, yeah. I really did love it. Um but there just wasn't a spot for me in the way everything was being put together. And I think, and I just had a baby, so I wasn't, I probably didn't push for it enough. Mm. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of at that stage of going, why don't I have a podcast? I'm on lots of other podcasts. Why have I not got my own podcast? So, yeah, so I yeah. need to get onto that. So it is, yeah, so there is that itch well, what there. what would you do kind of if you had a podcast? What would it, what would it do? What would it well, be about? Well, I think. What I love, uh, I love mortifying stories. Like I love <laughs> like things that make you cringe. Yep. That, that um, I was doing a little bit on one of Justin Hamilton's podcasts of like, so someone would um, write in with like their embarrassing moment and I would tr- try and turn it into something really positive, <laughs> like, but just really enjoy the the mortification of the moment and yeah. then go, but let's look at it this way and rewrite it as a yeah. positive thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause, yeah. yeah. Cause there's nothing, you know, like comedians, um, and I'm sure you guys are the same. Like when you get together in a bunch of people that you work with, the best stories are the ones where the worst thing happened. Yeah, like, absolutely. It's the most delicious when we, it goes we, wrong, yeah, yes, yeah, like you know, like um, like once on the radio, Akmal thought the dump button was like a magical button that recognised when you swore, <laughs> oh, um, <no>. and so just <laughs> called someone a f- and it didn't, it didn't. Uh, I think it got bleeped. 
it got it got dropped in Sydney, but Melbourne got it, or the other way around. So there was like just like so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow! I mean, yeah. Cal, look, there is one question that we do want to finish on, but before mm-hmm. we get to that, uh, I want to talk about supposedly, uh, which is the show that you're doing at the moment. And Mel- again, if you're seeing it towards the end of the tour, much better. Yeah. Um, don't say that, Cal, You Jenny, said it. What are you you said it. You're you said it earlier. You didn't say that. I tried not to say that. I tried uh, really hard not to make talking, it sound like uh, that. Our audio guy just edited that no, out. Wait. There you go. It's gone. Uh, <laughs> uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival. Uh, you're doing Sydney Comedy Festival, Brizzy Comedy Festival. Supposedly, what can we expect from that, Cal? Um, you can expect a lot of um, tiny rants or big rants about <laughs> tiny things. That's probably what you can expect. Um, the show's called Supposedly because my husband has said supposedly for 18 years instead of supposedly. Yeah. He said supposedly, which as a grammar nerd, I find that quite irritating. Uh, and it's my duty as a wife to pick him up on it every time. Uh, and so it just it's like little irritating things like, like you know, um, spelling with the wrong two and the wrong, like too many O's and loose. Like saying, uh, I've got nothing to lose is very different than saying, I've got nothing to lose. Yeah. Like, <laughs> At my age, it just sounds like I'm showing off. But you just got to be, you know, like I'm, it's like little tiny things that have caused me too much aggravation. And, uh, but it's it's not grumpy. <laughs> it's not grumpy. What a great tagline. Yeah. Let me tell you, Cal, we had the exact same conversation before. Yeah, we were before going, you were here, we're like, look at the printout here. We went, she had a typo there. Is that a what? word? It hurts me. Every time I look at my poster, I go, oh, God, what have I done? I've just. Because Jimmy goes, uh, it's supposedly, and I no, 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 supposedly, and Jimmy's like, definitely says supposedly. I was like, there's a, there's a B. Yeah, I was like, no, I <laughs> yeah. think it's just the fan. I was like, I think and it's like, does, does Cal know? <laughs> I was like, it's the fancy writing. It's fancy writing. It's got to be a D. Oh my god, she's got a graphic designer and everything. Something with a tattoo and it's wrong. Poor Cal. And you know what? It makes sense now. We've got to know you're too nice. You're like, you gave it a go. You hurt their feelings. Yes. You're lovely. That's fine. You had a go at it. It's all that matters. Uh, Cal, it has been an absolute delight to have you on the show. Uh, as we said, I mean, we've been so excited to talk to you. Um, all the stuff we used to watch you on TV, has, it honestly really is one of the reasons that we love comedy so much and have grown up with it and are now in it as well. Um, but there is one thing we do like to finish on. Obviously, mm-hmm. we've we've had this whole discussion now, Jim. What do we think? Cal Wilson, born funny, not born funny? I think born funny. I think absolutely born funny. Born funny, born kind. Born funny, born kind. Oh, Cal lovely. Wilson. Yeah. Would you agree with that? What do you reckon? Uh, I reckon I would, but I've got a question. How many people have you told that they weren't born funny? Um, no, Jen Fricker. Yeah, Jen Fricker. She said it herself. Uh, Dave Hughes tried to tell us he was, but he's not. <laughs> not. <laughs> Lou McGregor. I think we said kind of wasn't, but you found humour in, in form of defence. So yeah, right. you'd be, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. So far, I've found with more comedians maybe not born funny, but sort of figuring it out as they go. you just yeah. seen that, you know, you were doing the, what was it, the, the sleeping tod- bag. The toddler dance trying to undo the door. <laughs> Doorknob. <laughs> That's you. You're both funny. There you go. So all the other comics, we're coming from you. We're coming for you guys. Just <laughs> <laughs> me. Cow, we love you to bits. Thank you so much. Good luck on the circuit. Uh, we can't wait to see the show. And thank you so much for coming on. Oh hey, you're still here. Well, you must have liked this then. I may as well give you a sneak peek for next week. It's another funny person. Hi, it's Geraldine Hickey. Who gave us stuff like this. When you're in high school and you've got to start enrolling for... Subjects. Yeah. ...universities and stuff, and they're like, oh, just... Mum was like, oh, just have, have you know, do it, get your teaching degree. Just have that as a backup. And I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> More from them next week. See you then. Listener.